While they are uh, distributing those handouts, let me just give you a few words of introduction. I've entitled this The Book of Job Round 2. Round 1 in this struggle, this fight between Satan and Job goes to Job. And uh, he wins by decision. And now, tonight, we are going to look at round two in this struggle between Satan and Job. The question for tonight is, how are those near and dear to Job to minister to him? The focus tonight is on the reaction of his wife and friends to Job's suffering. What are they going to do? We can identify with how difficult it is to minister to our loved ones and friends in time (coughs) of great suffering. Certainly, Job's wife uh, experienced all that Job had experienced, except for the pains to her her body. But all the previous, previous suffering she had shared in, the friends did not share in those sufferings, but nonetheless, they were very attentive to Job and wanted to minister to him. I have sometimes it is unnerving for us to see those whom we look up to, to go through physical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual suffering. It's not easy. So the theme is Job's wife and friends seek to bring comfort to Job in the midst of all his pain and suffering. And certainly that desire is a good, wholesome, righteous desire. The key verse is Job 2.11. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, they came each one from his own place, Eliphaz the Tamanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Naamathite, and they made an appointment together to come to sympathize with him and comfort him. The chapter begins once again with the heavenly scene. And uh, it's going to end with Job experiencing more pain and suffering at the hands of Satan and the will of God. Job had remained faithful to God in the time of his previous testing. That's where we left off in Job 1.22. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. And Job's faithfulness had served to vindicate the righteousness of God, which we said was the primary reason for Job's suffering. So, in Job chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, just as on the previous occasion. And Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth (coughs) and walking about on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there was no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man fearing God and turning away from evil. All of this is the same as happened on the first occasion. Except now these words are added. And he still holds fast his integrity. Certainly, God knew all that had come into Job's life. Satan doesn't refer to it. Because uh, Satan doesn't want to uh, admit defeat. But God brings it up to him and says, well, have you considered Job? Have you thought about this? Uh, He still holds fast to his integrity 
although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. Satan still challenges God's assessment of Job. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man has he will give for his life. However, put forth thy hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh, he will curse thee to thy face. It's what, Job had said, uh, what Satan had said about taking away all his possessions and, and uh, his family. Now he says it about Job's physical condition. So now Job is going to have to suffer still more. So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your power. Only spare his life. So again we see that Satan can only do that which God allows. He says, Alright, you can touch Job, but you can't take his life. So Job is going to be accosted by Satan. And Satan makes Job's life as miserable as he can make it. He makes it as painful, as dreary, as burdensome as he possibly can. So Job's wife seeks to comfort Job. Job suffers still more. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a potsherd to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. Now, in just a few moments, I'm going to go through all the ways in which Job suffered. Uh, but this is intense. Job's wife seeks to comfort Job by giving him permission to vent his frustration against God. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Job's wife is mystified by Job's steadfastness in his worship and appreciation of God. She says, do you still hold fast your integrity? Are you going to maintain your righteousness before God? Are you going to endure this? Why don't you just curse God and die. A lot can be said here, and I'm going to say more about Job's wife uh, in uh, the weeks that lie ahead and uh, some of the struggles that she is having. But just two observations. Number one, all too often loved ones and friends in seeking to comfort the sufferer encourage the sufferer to, to do the wrong thing. So number two, a consideration of the reasons why a loved one or a friend would encourage a sufferer to do the wrong thing. Why did she say curse God and die? Well, we can imagine that perhaps some of that is her own frustration. It's her own reaction to the great pain and suffering that she's gone through. Uh, we don't know anything about her reaction. We know that Job worships God. We don't know if his wife ceases to worship God. We can assume that he is a a godly or uh, she is godly or righteous uh, for uh, Job is a most holy and righteous individual certainly would want to have those characteristics in his wife. Thank you. So we can assume certainly that she knows and loves the Lord. I think there's a, a bigger thought here and that is that no one likes to see their loved ones suffer. And there is a tremendous temptation when we see our loved ones suffer to try to alleviate their pain and their anguish at any cost. That it becomes paramount 
that we just want to see them free from the difficulty, the hardship, the pain, the misery that they're experiencing. And I can't tell you how many occasions I have seen loved ones give very bad advice to their loved ones simply because they want them to be rid of the pain and suffering no matter what the cost. And many times even encourage them to violate God's Word. To go against the clear teaching of Scripture. Get out from under this situation. That's her advice. Job, get out from this. Why put yourself through this suffering? Why go through all this heartache? Just get out. And for Job, that would mean first go and die. Take your life. Better to die, Job, than have to experience all the pain and suffering that you are going through. It's understandable. But we must guard against it. That's the point. When we see our loved ones suffer, that we don't encourage them to get out from under the suffering at any cost. But rather, that we encourage them to maintain their integrity, maintain their godliness, maintain their fidelity to God, and bear up and do the right thing. But that's hard. And Job's wife fails in that moment, as many people do. And we just need to be careful of that. Job's response to his wife. First, Job asserts that his wife is speaking like a non-believer. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Now, in the Scripture, a fool is not a, an ignoramus. A fool is not a moron. A fool is not a stupid person. In the Scripture, a fool is limited to a person who doesn't believe in God. A person who is not born again. A person who is not in a right relationship with God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So, he in essence is saying, you are talking like a non-believer. You're talking like someone who has no relationship with God. It's, it's a rebuke, but... It's a subtle rebuke. He's just saying, at this point, you're acting like someone who doesn't even know God. Job defends the goodness of God. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? And so Job remains faithful to God in response to his wife. And all this, Job did not sin with his lips. And the emphasis there is on his lips. He did not say anything that would be... Uh, Inappropriate. And remember, the test is, he shall curse you to your face. Well, he doesn't curse God. He doesn't, he doesn't give in. He doesn't uh, say anything negative about God. The scripture teaches us in the book of James that if anyone can bridle their tongue, they are a complete or perfect man. It's the hardest thing in the world to control your tongue. The easiest way to sin is by speaking something that is inappropriate, not right, uh, unacceptable before God. When the Bible wants to teach in Romans 3 that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, the example it uses is of our speech. Our speech is what the Scripture uses to prove the fact that everyone has sinned. Who has not lied? Who has not spoken a falsehood? Who has not at times lost their temper and said things that they regret, know they 
shouldn't have said. It's with our tongues that are, we are most likely to sin. And Job, again, passes the test. So now let's look at the, the friends. That's where we really want to focus on tonight. The characterization of the three individuals who come to comfort Job. First of all, they are in fact friends of Job. Job 2.11, now when Job's three friends heard. These are individuals who appreciate Job, have a long-standing relationship with Job, and are indeed good friends of Job. B, they are friends who evidently live some distance from each other. Says they came each one from his own place, and I would understand that more than just his own residence but from his own area, they came to Job. They are friends with quite varied backgrounds. We have uh, Eliphaz, who's a Tamanite, Bildad, who's a Shuite, and Zophar, who's a Namathite. And they are friends who sought to support each other and to support Job. For it says, now when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity, that they had come upon him, they came each one from his own place, Eliphaz the Tamanite, Bildad the Shuite, so far the Ammonite, and they made an appointment together to come to sympathize with him and comfort him. So there's a lot of thought that goes into this. There's a lot of planning. There is a discussion that takes place. For together, they made an appointment. They set a date. They set a time. And they said, uh, what we need to do is we need to go pay Job a visit. And with the express intention of doing two, thought, two things. Sympathizing with him and comforting him. They want to enter into his grief and sorrow. And they want to seek to alleviate it. That's their goal. It couldn't be a more <laughs> worthy goal. These are good friends. These are the kind of friends we want. Uh, they act in a commendable fashion. We can have confidence that they are godly individuals if Job's friends if Job is friends with them, and they prove to be just that, although they have their weaknesses. Next, the three friends' initial response to Job's dire condition. Um, Job is in a dire condition when his friends arrive. Uh, this picture of Job is it's, it's, it, it's really... Blatant. Uh, it is uh, heart-rendering. And uh, you need to visualize this passage. Uh, I, I think whenever we read the, the Scripture, we, we seek to, to visualize these narratives. Uh, we, we need to get a picture in our mind. These are word pictures. Uh, you need to see Job in the way in which he is described. And uh, you'll see how amazing they are in their friendship when you get a picture in your mind of what Job is experiencing, what Job's suffering is like. First, Job had so deteriorated that they did not recognize Job. And when they lifted up their eyes at a distance and did not recognize him, they didn't recognize him. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I have. Uh, I remember... Uh, after I had left uh, the uh, Reading Church and had come here, there was an individual that I had heard of that had cancer. He was an individual that I had ministered to in a particular way. 
And after hearing, and it was sometime later that uh, he had cancer and was dying, that uh, I went to see him. Hadn't seen him for about a year and a half. Hadn't seen him through the process. Heard he was about ready to die. And I went and, uh, to the hospital and asked uh, the nursing station what uh, room he was in. And they told me. And I went in and looked and uh, thought, well, he's not here. And I went back and asked again. And they said, no, that's him. And I went in and actually looked on his chart. And sure enough, that was him. He was a man that was 6'3", and a uh, little thinner than I am, but a big, heavy-set individual that uh, had gotten down to probably 100 pounds. Lost all his hair, his ball. I didn't, I didn't recognize him. He had so deteriorated. Job's three friends didn't recognize Job. Number two, we are provided with a full picture of Job's suffering as we take the entire book into account. As you read through the book of Job, there are different things that we learn about Job's physical condition. Here it goes. First, Job is suffering from open, oozing sores. Job 2.8 And he took a potsherd to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. Job says in verse 5, my, uh, Job 7.5 My flesh is clothed with worms and a crust of dirt. My skin hardens and runs. So you get the picture. He's sitting in an ash heap with a broken piece of pottery in order to scrape the boils on his skin. When he scrapes them, they begin oozing. They begin running. You can just picture pus, yellow stuff, coming out of these boils, and it hardens on his skin. It dries there. So picture this person who is sitting there with open sores that he has scratched himself and trying to get some relief. And there's this yellow pus that has now caked on his skin. Big. Job is suffering from sores which are infected with parasites. Verse 5, my flesh is clothed with worms and a crust of dirt. So now from this, these ashes that he's sitting in, and this potsherd he has, not only does he have these open sore wounds and this oozing yellow pus that is hardening on his skin, there's also maggots or something that are beginning to eat away at those sores. Little bugs crawling around him. He's certainly not in a sanitary environment. Okay, and we've seen people and, you know... uh, Flies buzz around their head and so on. And well, he's got he's got bugs crawling all over. See, Job is suffering from severe fevers. Verse Job thirty thirty. My skin turns black on me. My bones burn with fever. Okay, bones burn with fever. They ache. When uh, when I was about twenty two years old, uh, I came down with. Uh, What did I come down with? Spinal meningitis. That's what I came down with. Spinal meningitis. It's an inflammation of the uh, fluid in your spinal column and around your brain. And uh, my brain swelled. And I had temperatures as high as 109. I was in the hospital. uh, In uh, the Reading Hospital. Suffering from these these, uh, temperature, these uh, fevers. 
And one of the, the product of having these fevers was that I broke out in a kind of uh, rash, created red spots on my uh, body, and those red spots were very painful. And in addition to that, my joints started to swell, and I had great pain all over my body. When I finally got out of the hospital, it took me a month before I could walk a block from where I was living to the church. I was a sick puppy, but nothing in comparison to Job. But when he says that his bones hurt because of his fever, man, I can picture that. And it is painful. D, Job is suffering from severe mental anxiety and flashbacks. Even when I remember, I am disturbed and horror takes hold of my flesh. Probably, Job is picturing in his mind all the time he's sitting there in all his misery, he can't get out of his thoughts the death of his children. Remember, they all are taken away from him in a violent way, in a storm. And he pictures that and can't get it out of his mind. Next, Job is suffering from eyes which are red and swollen from weeping with deep circles around his eyes. Job 16, 16, my face is flushed from weeping. Deep darkness is on my eyelids. So he's bright red from all the crying and there are deep circles around his eyes. Job is suffering from stomach problems, most likely diarrhea. Job 30, verse 27, the churning inside me never stops. There is habitual gas and fluids and diarrhea that he is experiencing. You get the picture? Satan is throwing everything at him that he can. Job suffers from sleeplessness. Job 7, verse 4, when I lie down, I say, when shall I arise? But the night continues, and I am continually tossing until dawn. He gets no rest. He gets no sleep. In all his pain, and all his mental anguish, he can't fall asleep. Job suffers from nightmares when he can sleep. Job 7.13, if I say, my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint, when he longs to go to sleep, then thou dost frighten me with dreams. If I do get to fall asleep, I have nightmares about all that's taking place. And Job suffers from delirium. Verse 14, and terrify me with, with visions. He starts seeing things. Monsters. Uh, again, I, I remember being with a man. He was uh, a drunkard. Uh, he had uh, really abused alcohol for many, many years of his life. And he was dying. And... Uh, he got, what do you call it, DDTs? Uh, he would have tremors. And, and I would go to see him, and he was still in his house. And he was all by himself. And there were times that he would just, just shake. And he would begin to perspire. And he would almost begin to just kind of 
throw himself around. And I remember sitting there and putting my arms around him and just trying to hold him so he wouldn't hurt himself. Job was delirious. J. Job suffers from horribly bad breath and was ostracized as a result. My breath is offensive to my wife and I am loathsome to my own brothers. Man, he stinks. You can picture somebody in his condition stinking, okay? He stinks. He's suffering from emaciation. Job 19.20 My bone clings to my skin and my flesh. Job is suffering from constant pain throughout the entirety of his body, which becomes even worse at night. At night it pierces my bones within me, and my gnawing pains take no rest. There is no cessation of his pain and his suffering. Job suffers from convulsions. By a great force, my my comfort is distorted. So his body is going into contortions and convulsions. Job is suffering from spiritual anguish. Job receives no comfort from God. I cry out to thee for help, but thou dost not answer me. So he's praying, and he's asking God for deliverance. He's asking God for help, and nothing happens. Nothing takes place. The pain goes on. The suffering goes on. The dreams go on. The visions go on. All that he is going on goes on and on and on, and he cries out to God. And there's no relief. That is suffering. And Job suffers in a powerful way. Now, the three friends have an initial wonderful and appropriate response to Job's suffering. Now, how would you like to go visit somebody like this? They don't know what they're getting into. They heard that he had problems, and when they get there... They're astonished because they came and recognized the guy. And this is, this is what they find. So what do they do? First, they cried for Job. And when they lifted up their eyes at a distance and did not recognize him, they raised their voices and wept. They wept. Good friends. They were grieved by what he was going through. So they mourned for Job and all that he was going through. And each of them tore his robe and threw dust over their heads toward the sky in their lament. They took no joy in Job's downfall as some others had. In Job 30, verse 1, it says, But now those who younger than I mock me, whose fathers I disdain to put with the dogs of my flock. There were people that were actually glad at Job's suffering. Young people that had envied Job and his riches, envied Job and his position, envied Job and his wealth, and they actually were glad that Job was suffering. That may sound harsh, but Mark Twain once said, don't tell people your troubles, because half the people don't care, and the other half are glad of them. I don't know what Mark Twain went through that made him that cynical. But Mark Twain encountered a lot of people that were happy with his downfall. Happy with some of the difficulties that Mark Twain faced in his life. Job encountered people that actually, inwardly, were pleased that Job was going through all of this. But not his friends. 
not his friends. They took no joy in his downfall. They were grieved by all that Job was experiencing. They supported Job even when it was very unpleasant for them. They sat down on the ground with him. They supported Job in spite of the unpleasantness of his physical condition. How would you like to sit with somebody who is described in the way that Job is described? How would you like to sit with somebody who's sitting there and scraping their boils and their, their, uh, their is yellow pus running, it's hardening in other places of their body, there's dirt from the potsherd, there are maggots coming out of some of these open, deteriorating wounds. He's, he smells awful. He's uh, skin and bones. He's all those things that we've already described. How would you like to be in the presence of somebody like that? Job's friends stay by his side. Perhaps they supported Job even in a way that his family and members did not. Job 19.17, my friends, my breath is offensive to my wife and I'm loathsome to my own brothers. His own brothers distanced themselves from him. Probably these three friends were the only comforters that, that Job had. Certainly they're the only ones that are mentioned in Scripture until we finally get a fourth one at the end. Number four, they were patient and persevering with Job. Then they sat down on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. Seven days and seven, that's a long time. I don't know if they're businessmen. I don't know if they had other things to do. But I can tell you they had more pleasant things to do than sit with somebody who's going through all that they did for seven days and for seven nights. They're sitting in a bunch of ashes listening to a man groan, listening to a man who's delirious, smelling the smells, seeing the sights. And so they were patient and persevering with Job. They were sensitive to Job. And it says, with no one speaking a word to him. Sometimes it's as important to know what not to say as it is what to say. Sometimes people are very insensitive because they talk too much. Because they actually end up disturbing people. Sometimes when people are in the hospital, they have incredible headaches. They have a lot of things. They just don't feel like talking. Ever been there? You've been in situations where you just don't feel like talking? You just want to be left alone, but yet, you know, if, if you can be left in peace, you're happy for the company. Well, that's where Job's at. And his friends just sit there. For seven days... And for seven nights. They're just there. Sometimes some of the greatest things you can do is just sit with people. Quietly. Let them know you care. Let you know that you're there. And they were sympathetic. Application. However, the three friends are going to prove to be poor counselors for Job. They do not provide a meaningful answer for Job. They unintentionally add to Job's sufferings as opposed to relieve them. 
they ultimately end up by being rebuked by God. Conclusion. Here we see the importance of truly biblical counseling. First, the approach was terrific. The bedside manner was outstanding. The concern was genuine. If you're just going to look at their actions, they're stupendous. Their heart, their desire, their motivation, flawless. Their compassion, real. Their concern, genuine. Their desire to help, incredible. And they stayed with him for seven days and seven nights before they even say a word. The only problem was that when they did speak, what they said was false, for their view of God was faulty. That lack, in the end, trumped all the positives in their concern and actions. Their faulty view of God ultimately would trump, overshadow, render meaningless all the good that they had done. So much good. But unfortunately, what they said was false. And unwittingly, these three friends who came to do two things, sympathize and comfort, are actually going to be unintentionally used by the evil one to add to Job's pain and suffering. Unintentionally. But they do. Here's the lesson. Well-meaning, caring, kind, compassionate, loving people can unintentionally add to the pain and suffering of their friends and loved ones when they give them bad advice. When in a genuine concern they are trying to help, they actually can undermine people's faith and allegiance and obedience to God. And so Job is eventually going to have to fight against all the things that they are saying in order to remain true and faithful to God. E. Biblical counselors must be theologically astute. Pastor Clyde is uh, teaching a, a Sunday school class on Christian counseling. And our brother has uh, got a good theological background and training and understands and appreciates uh, good theology. And it's absolutely essential. Because it's, it's more than just being caring. It's more than just being comforting. It's more than just being kind. It's more than just being compassionate. It's actually leading a people to a place where they experience the help and comfort and solace of God. And they fail to lead him there. They leave him worse off than when they started. There's a tremendous lesson to be had in that in our own approach with others. 
But we're going to see that Job wins round two also. And now we're going to begin to look at the, the bigger pictures in the dialogues that are going to take place. But on the one hand, I want us to see the goodness of Job's wife and these three friends. Okay? I would submit to you they're obviously believers. They, they have a lot going for them. So I don't want to just dump on them. They're they outstanding. Okay? Job probably had more than three friends. But he had three that stuck by him. Where was everybody else? All I'm saying to you is, if only those three friends would have directed them in a right consideration of God. Wow. What a job they would have done. But because they didn't move him into a right consideration of God, all the good that they did still came up short. But let us praise them for this kindness, this sympathy, this desire, this incredible spirit of long-suffering, and a willingness to bring hardship into their own lives in order to minister to others. It certainly was unpleasant for these three friends, and they didn't let that deter them. Oh, may we prove to be friends like that to people in their suffering, people in their heartache, people in their need. Don't fail to go to the hospital just because you're unpleasant. Because you find it difficult to see people in that condition. Because you don't want to see somebody with tubes coming out of them. Don't forsake your loved ones. Don't forsake your friends when they have a tremendous need. And remember, sometimes the best thing you can do is just be silent. And sit there. Let's pray. Our Father, bless us as we seek to be a blessing to others. Uh, Lord, help us that we might be good friends and good relatives to those that are suffering. And guard our lips that in a desire to ease other people's suffering, we don't add to it. Whether it be like Job's wife, who because she doesn't want to see her husband suffer, encourages him just to get out of the situation, get out of the suffering. Oh Lord, help us to maintain an integrity that we encourage our loved ones and friends to do the right thing even when it's painful, even when it's difficult, even when it's hard. May we empathize, may we sympathize, may we understand, may we not minimize the hardship and difficulty that they are facing. May we demonstrate that we understand it, that we are touched by it, that we grieve for them, that we mourn with them, that we pray with them, that we cry with them. And at the same time, O oh Lord, help us to be strong in our faith and our allegiance to You and realize that we are actually helping them to encourage them to endure, encourage them to, to go on, encouraging them to submit to the pain and the heartache and the suffering. Lord, help us to be the kinds of friends that 
Job's friends were to him. There are so many positive characteristics. Oh Lord, help us that we would agree with others to bring comfort and uh, help to those that are suffering. And then guard our lips. Teach us what to say. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. And you are dismissed.